Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As we continue our series in this wonderful book from the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's ask the Lord to to bless the, the preaching of His Word. Gracious Father, we thank You that You have allowed us this morning to come to gather as Your church, to gather as the chosen ones, the called out ones in this world. And we have come, Father, this morning to hear from Your Word. And so, Lord, I ask that You would graciously speak through my words this morning through the holy, infallible Word of God. And Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, challenge our thoughts and our minds. Reshape our worldview. Lord, challenge us and call us to action so that we would not just be hearers of the Word, but we would be doers in obedience because of our love for Christ we would do what we have been asked to do from a loving Father, from a sacrificial Son, from a guiding Holy Spirit that lives within those who believe and trust in Christ. So Father, we pray that You would do a work this morning. And we ask at the very beginning, Father, that You would use the Gospel this morning, Lord, to save lives of people here that do not know You, that are believing in their own self-righteousness, in their own goodness to get themselves to heaven. Father, would You strip away the error in that thinking and reveal to them, God, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And it's in His holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If we were to trace the last 50 or so years of the music industry, we could learn a lot about the topic of love. If you're a music fan, if you flip on your radio when you get into the car and, and uh, sing along to tunes throughout your life, you could probably learn a lot about the topic of love. Our culture... And the music industry teaches us a lot about this topic. The Beatles taught us that all we need is love. And yet Def Leppard taught us that love bites and love bleeds. Captain and Tennille reminded us that love will keep us together. But the Ohio players illustrate that love is just a roller coaster. Foreigner honestly wanted to know what love is, while Robert Palmer may not have understood what it was, but he was addicted to it. If Stevie Wonder ever called Tina Turner just to say, I love you, Tina would reply, what's love got to do with it? And so on and so on. The truth is, is that the culture tries to define love for us as the ultimate source of love, but truth in that, or or the truth of love, is subjective or ever-changing. 
As a matter of fact, one of my favorite songs of love reminds us that, that love is like the waves of the ocean in the minds of the world. It is ever-changing. Love is not an absolute truth. Love is an ever-changing emotional feeling. So I grew up in the 80s, and uh, one of my favorite bands as a young person was the Jay Giles Band. And Jay Giles uh, sang the famous song, Love Stinks. And I was reminded of that this week as I was studying this passage from 1 Thessalonians. I, it's strange, I know, as a, as a pastor for secular 80s music to pop in your head when you're studying Scripture, but listen to the, the fluctuating mood of love in this song, Love Stinks. You love her, but she loves him. And he loves somebody else you just can't win. And so it goes until the day you die. This thing called love, it's going to make you cry. I've had the blues, the reds, and the pinks. One thing for sure, love stinks, right? It's a fluctuating emotional roller coaster when we think about love. Matter of fact, the world would define love as rooted in and seated in our emotions. So guys, when you're young and you see a pretty lady and, and you're attracted to her and your mouth dries up and you forget to be able you, you forget how to speak at that moment, you think I'm in love. When really your brain is just changing your emotions and those emotions are driving the chemical, you know, stimuli in your brain, and so all of a sudden the saliva leaves your mouth and you forget how to speak properly and you think that that's love. We've all been there, right? We can't just speak to teenagers that way. But the truth is the world cannot define love because the world's the worldviews that are out there are all subjective. They're all changing. They're not absolute. And so if we think we know what love is from popular music or culture, and that culture changes, then what we can really see is that culture does not give us the true definition of love. And we can't base love on our emotions because our emotions are always changing. If we base our emotion, if we base love on our emotions and our love, our emotions are always up and down like the, the waves of, of, of the raging sea, then we can't really find a, a true center point or a solid foundation for love. And so this morning, in what appears to sound like a Valentine sermon, which is not. I want us to focus on finding our true north, if we could say that, or finding our true center point and our true foundation of love as being from God. Matter of fact, Scripture teaches us that God is love. Scripture teaches us that God loved the world and He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. The Bible teaches a lot about love. It is an incredible theme. And it is an incredible theme in God's Word because it is, an, it is a mighty attribute of God. It is a very important characteristic of who God is. So as we focus this morning, what I want us to think about is what a true definition of holy love means. We don't want to just have any type of love. We want to have holy love. 
Because this is exactly where Paul is leading us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He has challenged us to follow the plan of God, to follow the will of God, and that plan and that will of God is our sanctification or walking in holiness. And of course we've said that you can't walk in holiness set apart from sin unless you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. So let's just set that disclaimer this morning. You will not be able to be holy if you are not first in Christ Jesus. And so if you are not in Christ Jesus and you are not holy, set apart from sin, then you will not truly be able to understand love because love comes from God. So this morning as we begin, what I want us to first think about is that holy love is rooted in God's character. It is rooted in the character of God. We read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 that God is love. And many people have said that God is, the loving characteristic of God is the chief characteristic or attribute of God. They would say that that, that that attribute of God is the supreme attribute and all, other, all of His other attributes, His holiness, His goodness, His righteousness, all those things flow from love. And I would disagree with that. I would say that if we try to set one attribute of, attribute of God above the others, then we are expressing an inequality in God. See, God is just as equally loving as He's equally holy as equally just, as, as equally good and righteous. And so what we need to understand, first of all, is when the Bible says that God is love, He is not made up of love. That is not His substance. What we are learning is that is just one of His many amazing attributes. Matter of fact, A.W. Tozer writes that if literally God is love, then literally love is God. And we are in all duty bound to worship love as the only God there is. If love is equal to God, then God is only equal to love, and God and love are identical. Thus we destroy the concept of personality in God and deny outright all of His attributes save one, and that one we substitute for God. So from the beginning, let us say then that God displays His love along with all of His other many attributes. And because He is equally loving and holy and just, we can also find a blending of them to say that if we want to understand love truly, we can understand love according to His holiness. We can understand love according to His perfection. So He gives us a perfect picture of love. And His love is for our good. It is, it is in complete and supreme goodness on our behalf. And it is right in all things. So, in other words, if we look at an act of God based upon His love, we could say then that that act of God based upon His love is also perfectly right and just. Which plays a big role in understanding God's salvation and His election. Now we know from Scripture that not only does God proclaim to be love, but God displays perfectly His love through Jesus Christ. 
How can you best love your kids and your spouse? How can you best show love to your neighbor? Please do not listen to Oprah Winfrey's definition of love, but instead look to God, your Creator, as the greatest true revelation of love. Because the love displayed in the person of Jesus Christ was the greatest display and personification of love. We see love displayed perfectly in Jesus. Jesus not only loved, but He loves unlike no other person who ever has or whoever will exist. We see God's ultimate love on display when, we, when He sent Christ to the earth to sacrifice Himself for sinners like you and I. Another author, Ralph Erskine, writes, God hath taken a marvelous way to manifest His love. When, when, when He would show His power, He makes the world. When He would display His wisdom, He puts it in a frame and form that discovers its, its vastness. When He would manifest His grandeur and glory of His name, He makes a heaven and puts angels and archangels, principalities and powers therein. And when He would manifest His love, what will He not do? God hath taken a great and marvelous way of manifesting it in Christ, His person, His blood, His death, His righteousness. Romans chapter 5 says what? But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, we know this one says, For God so loved the world. How did He love the world? That He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So if we are going to understand the essence of love, if God was going to say, do you want to know about my love? Let me show you Jesus. Look to Jesus as understanding love. The sacrifice of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. The goodness of Jesus. Jesus putting the needs of other people before Himself even to the point of death on the cross. This is love. So at your wedding, if you had 1 Corinthians chapter 13 read, because it was just beautiful, gracious verse about love, it, it had so much sentimentality as, as we did at our wedding. And I will honestly say that on our wedding day, as, as we had these things read, unfortunately, I wasn't thinking of Christ. I was thinking, this is how I need to be. I need to be, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its ways. It is not irritable, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Isn't that sweet? Don't you want that at your wedding, guys? Maybe? Maybe not. Okay. The point is, is that this is a beautiful picture of Christ. His perfect love. We strive for this love. We won't always love patiently. We won't always love kind, kindly. We won't always love in a humble way. But we will 
desire these things and strive for these things and will be empowered to love in these ways only when we are in Christ. Without them or without Christ, we are striving for something that's completely unattainable. Matter of fact, the love of God is called one of His communicable attributes. Meaning that, that He communicates these to us and we can actually imitate them. So, for instance, God reveals Himself to be eternal. God reveals Himself to be immutable or without change. We cannot imitate as human beings His eternality. We cannot imitate His unchanging character. These are incommunicable. But His love, His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His kindness... These things we can imitate ourselves. How? When we are in Christ, when we have been changed by His resurrection power, only then will we be able to imitate these things. Only then will we be able to understand and to truly love. So don't be confused. You can see love in the world. You may have family and friends that are unbelieving people in Christ. They do not trust Christ. They don't go to church. They are not religious people. And yet, they still display action that looks like love. But the true source of love comes from God. They may show love, but they are not showing love as Christ loved. And so for us to love appropriately, we must derive that from God in Christ And we must reflect that love as God's people to the world. As you guys think about the way that God created us in the world, He created the earth in in six days and rested on the seventh day. And in that creation, God created this beautiful landscape for humanity to dwell in. And at the very apex of His creation, He created man. And He gave animals to the man and He gave responsibility to the man. And yet He did not leave man alone. He gave him, as the Bible says, a helper, a companion. He gave him community. He gave him a life to live with someone else, with other people. Why? To display love. Ultimately, to display love to God and to display love to one another. Does that sound familiar? If God created humanity to ultimately love Him, love God, and love other people, doesn't that sound familiar? Didn't Jesus say to us that the two greatest commandments were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love who? Your neighbor as yourself. And so God creates this world and He creates humanity and he, he, he gives Adam a bride to express love toward first to God and, and then love toward one another. But guys, what happens is that sin enters the world and sin distorts our love. Sin distorts our relationship with God. And so we can't just go, oh, well, I'll, I'll just you know love like God loves because we don't want to love like God loves. We want to love like we want to love. We want to show 
uh, love to other people when it gains some kind of advantage for us. When it's some kind of benefit for us. And so, what I'm trying to help us understand this morning is that first we have to be changed in our relationship with God so that we can then love appropriately. Because sin has distorted that. It is reoriented. It is distorted. It is changed until we come back into a right relationship with God. And so Jesus commands us in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31, as the, as the Pharisees and the, the scribes come and they're trying to trap Jesus in this conversation where He basically refutes his, Himself or is contradictory to Himself. And they ask Him, well, which commandment is the most important? And Jesus answers, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And it was this amazing picture where Jesus is literally taking two different Old Testament laws where He is taking these two and He's basically summarizing all of the Old Testament into this, this phrase. All of the law is fulfilled in these two things. Loving God and loving people. Now folks, this is a... When he says love your neighbor as yourself, what he's not saying and proposing or promoting is a self-love. He is not promoting or proposing that you fall in love with yourself. I think we're pretty good with that on our own, Right? It's the essence of sin, is that the essence of sin is self-love. So what he's saying is turn from self-love, instead love your neighbor. Love God, and from the, the love of God, love your neighbor. And neighbor there does not mean just necessarily the person who lives in the house next door, but basically it is a global call to love all people. So if I could paraphrase or, or, or kind of uh, change that a little bit, I would say love God and love all people. But now I want to get to the topic, if I could just continue to, to, to zoom in from God is love, displayed through Jesus Christ, commanded for us to love all people, if I could zoom in to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning, because what I want us to focus on specifically is, is our holy love reflected through God's people toward one another in the church. Because that's where Paul is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So that's kind of like my introduction. Look with me in chapter 4. I'll start in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, 
because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So Paul is writing ultimately with the theme in chapter 4 for the people in Thessalonica to live holy. And in their holy living, he wants them to pursue a greater uh, progress or a greater level of growth in their holiness. Or as we talked about a couple weeks ago, he wants them to continue to strive to grow more spiritually. That there is never a, a place where we've just made it in our sanctification to continue to increase or abound more and more in holiness. And we related that specifically to the topic of sexual morality last week. Or if we could turn that to the positive, we said living a holy life is living a sexually pure life. And now we're here again saying that a sanctified life represents a holy love toward people in the church, toward one another. We cannot dissect or separate the love of God in us from the love of God in us to the people of God. We cannot take those things away. The, wor the Word of God has called us to show love to one another. Look with me in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 9. He says that now concerning brotherly love, this is a compound word that we, get, that we use for the, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And it basically means to love the brothers. It's a, it's a compound word that means to love the brothers. He's not talking about his biological family. This is a specific love for brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I are called to show brotherly love to one another. And it appears in this passage that the Thessalonians were great at this. I mean, Paul commends them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2 on the love that they have for one another. But here in chapter 4, as a good preacher, as a good apostle, he is going to push them further to love even more and more. Look what he says. He says, now concerning brotherly love, concerning your love for people in the church, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. This is, this is amazing because that word taught by God used here in this, in this passage alone speaks volumes to our love for one another. Okay? Paul is basically saying, look, there's really no reason for me to write to you because if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you are truly the elect of God, as, as he says in chapter 1, then you are taught by God how to love. You are taught by God how to love. What does he mean? Well, he says it in uh, chapter 4, in verse 8, when he says that you have been given the Holy Spirit. See, folks, the Holy Spirit 
teaches us to love. When we come to Christ and we are given a new life in Christ, the Holy Spirit does a reconstruction project within us and gives us a predisposition to love in a way that we would never love in our lifetime before that. God changes us and restructures us to love as He loves. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a struggle, but what Paul is saying is, you are already restructured by God to love. It is now in your spiritual DNA. And so, as we understand the character of God and the display of, of God's love for us, then we understand that when we have been changed in Christ, loving shouldn't be so difficult. But yet it is. Even though God has taught us to love, even though He has changed us to love, sin always interrupts that, that change. Sin always pushes against that change. And that is why the commands that Terry read earlier in Colossians chapter 3 are there for us. Because as the Holy Spirit changes us, we still fight the sin to not love. Even though the Holy Spirit has changed us, we can't sit back, put our feet up on the couch and go, I am a perfect picture of love. Instead, we trust in the power and the promises of God who will perfect us in Christ, and we know that God will continually change us day by day into the image of Jesus Christ and to the point that Christ comes again, and then we will experience true perfect love. You know, my dad was an electrician and a fireman. And in the summers, I would go and I would work for him. And he would, be the, he would be the dad like right over my shoulder. All right, now hold the screwdriver this way. And Okay, now turn it. Now you're not holding it right. You need to turn it this way. Okay, all right, and, and let me show you how to do this. And he taught me the basics of electricity. He taught me how to, uh, to, to do all kinds of really amazing things. And then he was wise enough to, to, to teach me and to teach me and then to step back and go, okay, show me that you know how to do it. He was wise enough just to, he didn't continually stay on my shoulder. He allowed me to show the fruit that I had been taught and I have grasped what I was taught and to show the fruit of working with that type of trade. But here's the problem. Being an electrician is not in my DNA. It was a taught, learned behavior. And so I could lose my memory I could, I could have dementia or, or, or be in a car accident where my, my brain is wiped and all of a sudden that trade is gone. And no longer can I remember how to wire up a, a simple little 110 plug or 220 plug or, or whatever. It's gone. Why? Because that learning has left my brain. But when you are changed by Christ, the spiritual DNA within you to love one another is there and it's not going away. You are promised to be changed in holiness, and so you are continually being changed to love more and more as Christ loves. And so Paul says, 
that He urges you, He urges us to love more and more. But as I said, the, 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 the problem with this is that the, the struggle with the flesh, the struggle with sin constantly rises up. And so what we have to do, as Colossians chapter 3 says, and if you turn there, we have to live as believers in Christ with the promise to be changed day by day. We have to live every day willing to die to ourselves. Look at Colossians chapter 3. So Paul tells the Colossian church, put to death what is earthly in you, verse 5. And he gives us a list, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's a command. Die daily to your selfishness. Die daily to your self-love. The powers within a believer in Christ to be able to, to overcome that. But you still must practice a daily death and annihilation of your sinfulness. You will wake up and you will want to love and worship yourself. Not love and worship as God loves. So you must put these things to death. It is representative of your old nature. He says in verse 7, in these two you walked. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, wrath, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with the practice. All these, these things He's telling us to put off are the opposite of loving things. Anger is an impatience, unloving. Wrath is an, is an act out of that anger. Malice, planning to be cruel and, and mean and, and destroy or hurt people. Slander, obscene talk. All these things are to promote ourselves and not another person. And yet Christ demonstrates what? Christ demonstrates instead that to love someone is to sacrifice for their needs to sacrifice for their wants and their desires. That's what he says in verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. So as the people of God, you and I must die to ourselves daily, turning from our flesh, practicing and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our understanding of God's love. And here's where it applies to the church. Listen to verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Please don't glance over that verse and not understand the implications for the church here. Because when we put to death these things, 
When we put to death the sin and focus on the love of God, we are representing the Gospel. And the Gospel breaks down the barriers that Paul is talking about in verse 11. Imagine the Jew and the Greek hated one another. In like, in like, in like terms, the circumcised with the uncircumcised. The barbarian and the Scythian, the slave and the free. Just to give you an example. When we call people that are savage, we call them, you're so barbaric. You ever heard that? Like, oh man, that guy maybe doesn't shave or, you know, pulls a fish out of the, out of the lake and just starts chewing on it like a Bear Grylls type experience. I mean, that guy's just barbaric. Do you realize that the Bible gives us a worst, a worst case scenario, worse than the, the, the barbarian, the Scythian? These guys were so out of their mind as far as their savagery, and, and I, I can't even call them barbaric because they're beyond barbaric. This culture was worse than barbarian culture. And barbarian was really more of a, a slang term Listen to what um, William Hendrickson has quoted as, as the, the savagery of the Scythian culture. Listen to this. He says, according to their warfare, the Scythians would drink the blood of their, the first enemy that they killed in battle. They made napkins of their scalps and drinking bowls of the skulls of the slain. And they were the most filthy habits, and they never washed with water. Like, it kind of, kind of trails down a little bit, you know. You imagine drinking someone, drinking out of a person's skull, and oh, and I don't take a bath. <laughs> that doesn't seem as bad, but for William Hendrickson, I guess it was. So, here's where I want us to, 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 to kind of, let me reel you in, okay. Paul is saying that the glory of God and the glory of the gospel and the love of Christ is so amazing and so important for the church that it breaks down the barrier between us and our differences that we can sit with brothers and sisters in Christ, even the barbaric Scythians, even the savage Scythians, they, they could come to the table and we could love them even they are so different from us they scare us out of our minds. That's the, that's the definition of the loving one another in the church. And folks, we don't see that in the church today. When the Scythian comes in and sits at our table or comes into our home with tattoos and some skulls hanging, real skulls hanging from their, their wallet chain, and we're like, oh my goodness, hide the kids, hide the wife, Right? And, and what do we do? We're like, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really struggle to love this person. Why? Because of our self-love. Because they're not like us. Because we don't identify with their habits. And the church and the gospel and true God-spirit or God-filled, spirit-inspired love says that we love people because they are the people of God. They are in Christ no matter where they come from, no matter how they used to live. 
That is the power behind love one another. So our exhortation and our challenge this morning is we need to get over ourselves and show the love of Christ regardless of our distinctiveness, regardless of our differences, because God has commanded us to turn away from self-love and turn toward the love of Christ. Continuing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's elect, or as God's chosen ones, or as the church, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And 14 is, look at the key here, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. John MacArthur says, supernatural love poured out into the heart of believers is the adhesive for the church. Paul is telling us to love other people, and as we love them, we will be compassionate. We will be kind. We will be humble. We will be meek and patient, bearing with one another. Because it love binds together the church in harmony. And the last thing I want us to see here this morning as we just talk about holy love is that holy love is a product of genuine faith in Christ. And, and John writes in, in his word, one, he, he writes what the words of Christ who Jesus says in John chapter 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You want to know if you truly have faith in Christ? Do you have love for people? Do you want to serve them? Do you want to outdo them and honor? Do you want to put the interests of other people before yourselves? Now Jesus is not saying every moment of every day love one another. Because that's impossible. He's not calling us to be perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect for us. But do you desire? Do you desire to serve and love other people. John again in 1 John chapter 4 lays it out even excuse me, lays it out even more clearly. He says, "Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God." Here's it here's it real simple. If you do not love as God loves, if you do not desire to love as Christ loves, you have not been born of God. You are still in your sins. You will die and go to hell. Let the love that you have for people, the desire that you have to serve and love other people above yourselves, be a guarantee, be a product, be an assurance of your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul does back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
is he is encouraged by the love of the believers in first in Thessalonica. But he says in a sense, be encouraged by your love, but do not settle for love. He says, abound more and more in more love. Don't be like, yeah, you know, I'm a pretty good, I'm pretty loving, I'm, I'm pretty nice to people. He says, strive to show more love for one another. If I can just read one more passage this morning, and I'll be done. First, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. just read verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My desire for Redemption Community Church is that for us to be able to love the people of this community, we have to first love one another. We have to be willing to sacrifice our own opinions, our own desires, our own uh, pleasures, so that we could serve the needs of each other. It is the ultimate picture of Jesus Christ manifested in our life so that as we love one another, we can love the world with the love of Christ. If people see Redemption Community Church as a divisive, disgruntled body of believers, how could we ever express the love of God to the community? How could we do that? If, they, if people come and, and they don't see us sacrificing for one another, they will not believe in Jesus Christ who sacrificed for them. They won't believe us saying that anyway. <coughs> so the point is that our love for one another flows through Christ's work on the cross, through the character of the Trinity, so that we can love only as God gives us the power and the strength to love. And so let me encourage you this morning to look at your own life and say, first of all, have I been changed by God? Am I born of God? Have I been given new life through Jesus Christ? All synonymous ways to say in the South, are you born again? Or, are you saved? That's all church lingo and, 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 and church uh, terminology for a changing in the life of a person who repents of their sin, who, who turns from sin and turns toward Christ and allows Christ to change them from the inside and who will continually be changed day by day, who trusts in the work of Christ for the salvation of their souls, forgiveness of sin, adoption into the family of God, and infused 
with a desire to love as God loves. Do you have that this morning? If not, my challenge to you this morning is to trust in Christ. He has accomplished all that you need for salvation. There is not enough love in the world that you could accumulate in the largest container possible to please God. It's impossible. Jesus Christ represented the ultimate love on the cross for us on our behalf so that we could be freed from our sin. So you must trust in His work alone for salvation. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you see this product, this fruit of genuine love from God in your life, may I encourage you as Paul encourages us to abound more and more. How can you serve the church and serve other people in the church body more? More selfless love. More self-sacrifice. More mercy. More kindness. More humility. How? Well, we have a family in our church. Their son is dying of cancer. How can you serve the Hernandez family? Or the Gray family. We have people in our church that may not be able to mow their grass or fix meals. How can you serve them? How can you serve people and love people in our church that have nothing in common with you? On a day without Christ, you wouldn't spend a moment with this person. And yet together you are the people of God. You have so much in common. Let's pray. Father, we confess and admit that You are a true source of understanding when it comes to love. Lord, we ask that first of all that people here this morning who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ would experience the love of God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ for the first time this morning. They would see the weight of their sin. They would not trust in a baptism when they were a child. They would not trust a a conversation they may have had with a pastor. They may not trust in a, in, a, in a laundry list of good works that they've done, but Father, they would trust in Christ's work.